All right. Now, back again to the book of Revelation. This is exciting. It is an exciting part. This is the second half of the book of Revelation. But before we, we do that, let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that, that we, we are empowered. You've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, uh, to be able to understand the truth that is contained in your word. But that is only possible when your spirit, your, the spirit of truth, reveals the truth that is contained in it. So now we ask you, Lord, open our spiritual eyes as we open our hearts in all humility before you because we, are, we want to submit to your truth. And uh, Lord, bless your people who listen to, to, to this sermon. And, and also, I pray that you will bless me and empower me so with clarity and with accuracy I present the truth that is contained in your word. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, it's always good to pray before reading the word. All right. So back to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> what we've covered up to this point, up to last Sunday, actually, that in the midst of God's dealing with sin in the world, Jesus is preparing his people, his church to be true and faithful witnesses as he is. And that is covered from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. We talked about it last week. Okay? So by the time we arrive at chapter 12, we are presented with this spiritual truth behind all that's going on in the world. Which is, it all begins, what John is saying is that, listen, it all begins with the war in heaven where Satan was defeated and thrown down to earth. And his complete and ultimate defeat is accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection and exaltation. Now, this defeat of Satan is not only victory that belongs to Jesus that he achieved through the cross, but also one for his followers if they are faithful to their testimony even to the point of death. Now, that is stated in in uh, chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, They conquered the accuser by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Okay? So, <clears throat> seven, uh, Satan's defeat and subsequent loss of a place in heaven and being down, uh, thrown down to earth caused rejoicing in heaven Okay, cause rejoicing in heaven, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That's the end of chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 12. So heaven rejoiced, but there's a warning. Listen, woe to, the, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And the reason for the woe to the inhabitants of the earth is that with what little time that Satan had on, has on earth, he ferociously waging war with God's faithful witnesses. The witnesses, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He, he's waging war to them, even until today. So, now, from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 19, we see how, how this war is waged by Satan. He's waging war, and we, 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 from now on, we're going to talk about how this war is being waged by Satan. Now, 
once again, as we tackle this issue, we have to keep in mind, it is still in the context of how the original readers saw it, okay? How they understood it. So, the way he waged war is he used the ferocious beasts from the sea, which is covered in chapter 13, verse 1 to 10, and the beasts out of the earth, which is chapter 13, verse 11 to 18. Now, these two beasts are nothing more than a parody of God's humans, human agents, his two witnesses, which is a representation of the church, his governmental authority on earth. Let's talk about the beast from the sea, okay? One of his agents is in, in this passage in chapter 13 called as the, also as the first beast. So, which is Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 to 10. We are not going to read the whole thing because it's such a long uh, passage. So, I'm just going to just highlight some of the verses here. And uh, it says here, and I saw in verse 1, a beast, uh, a beast out of the sea. Okay, I saw a beast out of the sea. Now, let me, let me identify this beast, okay? Now, the, the Judeans, as well as John, or even citizens of Ephesus, would perceive Rome as coming from the sea, you know, so because this is the beast coming from the sea. So the people at the time, the, the Judeans, as well as John, and uh, people in, of Ephesus would perceive Rome as coming from the sea, even geographically, and the sand of the seashore that is, that is written in, in uh, Revelation here may represent the nations over whom the beast claimed to rule. Now you, you can read it later. We will read later on. It is referred also in uh, chapter 20, verse 8. Now, in, uh, back to, to chapter 13, verse 1, the, this beast has... Ten horns and seven heads. Okay? Which is a replica of the dra dragon who has ten horns and, uh, uh, and seven heads in chapter 12, verse 3, when the dragon fell from, from, from heaven. Okay? And to this beast, it says that the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, all this description of the beast is actually is taken from Daniel chapter 7, verse 2 to 8, which is a picture of a political order and its human leader. I'll say it again. This image of the beast with, with uh, uh, his power and his throne is an image described in Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, a picture of political order and its human leader. As a matter of fact, Greco-Roman writers, you know, Greco-Romans is the, this, uh, the, the people at that time, <clears throat> in general would depict tyrant, a tyrant as a beast. That's what they would call a tyrant, a beast, such as Nero. Now, concerning Nero, one of the writers of of the people at the time, non-Christian, this is not, not a Christian, a writer at that time 
wrote like this, and this is quoting from him. He said, as for this beast, generally called a tyrant, I have no idea how many heads he ha it has, but its nature is wilder than the beasts of the mountains or forests, because this beast is incited by those who stroke it. Isn't it interesting? He said, because this beast is incited by those who, who stroke it. Flattery makes it even more savage. Interesting. Okay, let's go to verse 3, where it says in chapter 13, verse 3, where it says, One of its heads seemed to have mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Let me comment on that. Most New Testament scholars recognize that this is the image of a new Nero. Nero, okay, who died in June, uh, June 9 AD in the year 68. Now, up to the end of the first century, many believed that he remained alive. There were many false Neros after the death of Nero. That's why you read, you know, he had mortal wound, but he was healed. As a matter of fact, the myth of the new Nero continued to develop uh, in the decades, decades following after the, the, the writing of the book of Revelation. Roman coins in the Western Mediterranean announced that the emperor was son of God and God in their coins. As a matter of fact, Domitian who ran at the writing of the book of Revelation, who, because of his order, John was thrown into the exile in the island of Patmos. <laughs> so Domitian is known as one of the Neros. <laughs> he even demanded that, <laughs> demanded the title for himself, that title, he, he demanded the title Lord and God. And that's why, as you read in the, uh, Chapter 13, verse 4, where it says, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, him. I believe it, it, it means him, Domitian, at that time. And say, then they said, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? It's crazy. So, let's, let's read verse 7. It says, Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe, people, and language, and nation. And if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. It is important to note that the dragon has lost all power and authority after being thrown down to earth. We read that in chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. Now, the only power or authority he has 
is what is granted by God. Now this is clear, clearly seen when we read, when we read about the judgments in the seals and you know in the beginning of uh, towards the beginning of the book, in the seals uh, and the trumpets. When we read the opening of the seals in chapter six, verse one to eight, where we we read about the four riders, how they moved at the, the at the command of one of the four. Uh, at the command of the four heavenly creatures. They didn't just move independently. They moved these evil four riders. Every move they made is because they were commanded by the four heavenly creatures from the throne of God. And the second set of the judgment, the trumpets, verse uh, chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, where it says here, they were told, this is uh, the demonic force, were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. So in other words, God allowed evil forces as part of his judgment to do whatever they they do, and yet within restriction, he said he said the boundaries of what, how, how much they can do. Okay, let's read chapter 13, verse 8. And it says, And all who dwell on earth will worship it. This is the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now that chapter 13, verse 8, I want to probably read the correct uh, Greek translation, okay, it says from the Greek tra direct tra translation from Greek is that all who dwell on earth will worship it, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. So in other words, the Lamb, it says, what it's referring to that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. It's not talking about the timing. It was just referring that the crucifixion of Jesus is not an afterthought. It was planned before. And you can read it. You know, as a matter of fact, it was, it was implied in the book of Genesis where God said to uh, to serpent, where he says, the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will uh, bruise his heel. So in other words, yeah, before God, before it all began, God already thought of all these things, okay? So this power to conquer the true and faithful believers, the beasts to conquer the true and faithful believers in chapter 13, verse 10, actually it is seen from the world's perspective, okay? He, in a true sense, from a biblical sense, he didn't conquer them because the true victory for the believers is already stated in chapter 12, verse 11, remember? They, they overcame the accuser by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and because they did not love, for not loving their, love, their lives even to the point of death. Okay, so they already conquered in a true sense. But this is seen from, from, uh, from world, world point, worldly point of view. On, on, 
on face value, okay? He lo it looks like he conquered the true believers, all right? So, let's talk about the beast from the earth. Revelation assumes that the conflict between God and evil takes tangible political, religious, and economic, economical, economic forms, all right? In the beast from the sea, evil is at work in an empire that dominates the world's people and it deifies its own rulers and persecutes the followers of Jesus. In the beast, okay, from the land, evil operates, operates through those who promote deifications of the leader of the state. Okay, and who, who back these religious claims with their own political and economic influence. That's in chapter 13, verse 11 to 18. Many interpret this second beast coming from the earth as opposed to the one coming from the sea and say that it refers to the native provincial authority Hence, speaking of the local priests of the imperial cults. Now, so we've got these two beasts from the sea, which is the Roman, as, as mentioned before, pretty much the Roman as, a, as, as an empire in a bigger, in a bigger sort of a perspective, a bigger empire conquering all the nations surrounding them. But the beast from the land is speaking of more specific native people and talk about the priests of uh, local priests of the imperial cults. Now, this second beast, to me, as I read this, the, 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 the passage, to me, the, the second beast seems to be more dangerous than the first one. Because the first one, okay, the first one in chapter 13, verse, verse 11, is in, a, in chapter 13, in the beginning of chapter 13, it's by human force and, and, and uh, affect economically and, and just pretty much power, human power, force, army. But the second one, the beast from, from the land, which is to do with a lot, you know, to do a lot with uh, with local priests of the imperial cult. In verse thirteen, it says here, verse uh, chapter thirteen, verse eleven, it says, "It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon." I'll say it. Again, I'll read it again. The description, the description of this beast, beast is that it it had two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. That's crazy. In other words, it has the appearance of the Lamb of God. Sort of like the Lamb of God. But it spoke like a dragon. In other words, it is more deceptive. Has the appearance of Jesus. Looks like the truth. But when he, when he spoke... It's the words of the dragon, not the words of God. 
And verse 12, it says, It exercised all authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. And verse 13, it says, It performs great signs, even making fire coming down from heaven to earth in front of people. And verse 14, and by the, the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the first beast, it deceives, listen to this, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image of the beast that was wounded by the, by the sword and yet lived. Sort of like a picture of uh, Nebuchadnezzar put up his image and force God's people to worship that image. That's pretty much the same picture. I think it's Daniel chapter 3, I believe, or Daniel 5, where Nebuchadnezzar built his own image and then forced the whole, the whole nation to worship, including the children of Israel. The difference is that in Nebuchadnezzar's time, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego miraculously, miraculously were saved by God at that time. But the people of God in this time, it's not that God didn't save them, but but it's a different in a different context because it is through their death that they gained that victory. So it's a, it's a different. It's not that God didn't save them, but they. They, 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 they're staying truth to their testimony about Jesus to the point of death is the key to their victory. So, so, so the great signs that I perform indicate the practice you know, that, that, that we just read about all calling down fire and all that is just indicate that there's the practice of the false prophets. And because of these great signs, that they were able to deceive those who dwell on earth. Let's read verse 15. And he was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause, cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So obviously there is a practice of sorcery and black magic, and apparently it was common. And even, as a matter of fact, if you read the book of Acts, when Paul was at Ephesus, you know how they, you know, it, you read how dark the city of Ephesus, Ephesus was at that time. Verse 16, it says also, he says here, also it causes both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So what it's, say, what it's saying is this, that part of the activities of the, the, the business association or the guilds was the compulsory rule to participate in the rituals of emperor Worship, worship cult and refusal of such a compuls, compulsory rule 
was actually economical suicide for many of the businesses, especially among the Christians, as we, we said before that the Christians were the only people who refused to succumb to the pressure to worship the emperor at any cost. I'm talking about the true believers. So in, that, in this chapter, John then gave warnings. There are two types of warnings, okay? Concerning the, the first beast whose activity is more obvious because he's about force where he conquered the, 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 the saints, conquered the believers. And, and uh, John's, John's warning and encouragement is that, you know, where it, where it says he was given power to conquer the believers. So John's warning in, in, in that context, he said, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness in chapter 13, verse 9, concerning the first beast, how to, to face him. Whereas for the second beast, which is more subtle and deceptive, the warning in, in chapter 13, verse 18, uh, chapter 13, verse 18, is that this calls for wisdom. And I believe this, this statement implies the use of discernment. Okay? Because it is more deceptive, so it takes more than just endurance and, and patience. It takes wisdom and, I believe, discernment discernment that can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to I wanna push this one. The deception in the world, you and I, the only way we can discern is when we are fully equipped, totally and thoroughly equipped with the truth. Without having the foundation of the truth, we will not, we will not able to discern what's right or what's wrong because right now the truth is being challenged and I, the scary thing is the challenge is very subtle I tell you what I can talk about this maybe another time but there are all different points of the biblical truth that are, that are being challenged we hear the language deconstruction whatever you know all this Anyway, let's, let's keep, go, keep going on. Keep go, let's keep going here. So in this case, the readers were given, okay, concerning this discernment of this second beast. John gave the, the, the readers the hint of the name of the beast. He said 666, okay? He gave them, he said, and he said in verse 18, chapter 13, verse 18, he said, this is the number of the name of a man. Which means it is a number they could figure out at that time. As we've, we've talked about before, 666 refers to Nero. And now, I want to say this. As for receiving the mark of the beast, just like many other images that, you know, this, this symbolism of the mark of the beast it needs to be taken symbolically. This is the thing. Revelation is filled with all these symbolical uh, pictures. And we, 
I don't understand why people take many things symbolically. Oh yeah, that's symbolical. But the moment you come to the 666, everybody take it literally. Yeah. Also in the, in the, in the, in the whatever, in, in the forehead and in the, in the hand. Just, just, just think of this. In uh, chapter 7, verse, verse 1 to 5, I believe, where it says, there are people who are marked by God. Now, those people, you and I, we are marked by God, not because we have something in our, in my forehead, I don't have anything in my forehead or in my, my right arm. It's because of the Spirit of God in me. You and I are marked by God, by the Spirit of God. Okay? So, it is that simple. Those who receive the, uh, the, the mark of the Lamb of God. Is it? So, uh, like, like, uh, like I said before, there's chapter seven, even chapter fourteen. We'll, we'll read, we'll read uh, in a, later on about people who are marked by God. Let me just, just draw uh, in conclusion. Let me just read this, uh, this last verse. I'd like to read in chapter thirteen, verse eleven. It says. It had two horns like a lamb. I want to. I want to. I want to highlight this thing that that we read before. It says that the beast had two horns like a lamb. This is the second beast, and it spoke like a dragon. Okay. In other words, it has the appearance of truth, but when he spoke, it spoke falsehood. That's why John warns us. This calls for wisdom and discernment. The church, the world, is clouded, especially in this egalitarian society. Everybody has the same voice. Everybody has the same expression. Everybody's fighting for it. So. You know, it's not about the truth anymore. It's about equality. So, people now, even Christians, what seems good is like, oh yeah, it feels good. It's, 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 it looks good. It looks good. Must be good. Must be right. This this situation reminds me of the scripture of what Paul said in Second Timothy chapter three verse one. He said, he said this. But as understand this. That in the last days, okay, we are in the last days, I believe, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, hello, brutal, no, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, Man, you can, you can <laughs> preach a whole sermon on this. Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a, now listen to this, verse 5, having appearance of godliness, just like the, the second beast, looks like a lamb, okay? So having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And this is what Paul said, avoid such people. 
Now, I believe the power that Paul is talking here is more than just the manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's the kind of power that Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 18, First uh, Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen, where he says, where he says, the word of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. Paul is talking about the transforming power of the word of God in us. He's not talking about the the manifestation gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the transforming power. So, reading that scripture, and then I'll, I'll look at the the um, the. Uh, the, the, the time now is like, just like we are, we, we Christians, we are so, so accustomed to be entertained by the atmosphere and, and by even, even, oh my Lord, even the preachers now are so, so, uh, so uh, caught up in entertaining people with their eloquence. There's nothing wrong with being eloquent, but it's, it's, if that's all you want to, to have. And they, it's almost like the, the, the industry of entertainment is so huge that it has evangelized the church and the preachers to the point that that is how we minister. And I notice, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to be honest here. I notice some of the preachers that I watch, it's almost like they, they feed off the crowd and the crowd's reaction. And that's how they evaluate the, 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 the quality of their sermon instead of the content. Just like it says here, it's not about the look like the lamb, but it's when you speak, are you speaking the truth? It's scary. So, I, because they, they, they like this entertainment, this entertaining people, so they, they feed of the crowd. So my, my question is, sometimes I watch those preachers and I said, hang on, who is supposed to be the feeder, the preacher or the crowd? Mm. Awesome, I'm supposed to feed you, I'm not supposed to feed off you. Yeah. So, He's, that's when I believe the promise of God for, for us is, yes, there will be persecution. There will be tribulation. But we need to stay with the truth. Not just what appears like the truth, but when we speak, when we act, when we act out what we believe. It has to be that. It cannot be just the appearance, but everything that we are, what we say. And the call for the church, I'm going to push that again. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. We conquer the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. It was done. In other words, it was done. It began with Jesus' victory. Now, for us to participate in that victory now is... We hold on to our testimony. But how do we hold on to the testimony, he said? And he says, because in doing it, they do it to the point of not loving their lives, even unto death. And the, the next passage, which I love, it's almost like 
just like chapter 7, after all the series of judgment, Jesus brought this throne, the, the, the throne room scene, the scenery of the throne, just to give the readers to understand God's heart and also God's ultimate plan, but also encouragement to the believers. So I'd like to read, it's like that scene, that scenery or that scene in chapter 7 where is repeated again in chapter, chapter 14 here from verse 1. He said, then I look, John said, this is after this whole battle with the beast. And John said, then I look and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000. Now remember we, we interpreted before, 144,000 represents the multitudes, the innumerable multitude before the throne of God, okay? Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like a roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144 or the multitudes who had been redeemed from the earth. I'd love to stop there. It says no one can learn that song. It was as if there are many songs in heaven sung by the angels. But there's one particular song that only the redeemed can sing. I mean, that's how I interpret this thing. So, like the angels, angels will sing the song of creation. God is, but there is one particular song is, is the song of the redeemed that can only be sung by people who have been redeemed. As, I mean, anyway, I, I won't go too, too, too long on that. <laughs> it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouths no lie was found. Listen to this. No lie was found. Unlike the second beast, looks like the Lamb, but speaks like the dragon, but these people, no lies were found, for they are blameless. Whew. Whew. That's a challenge for us. There has to be truth. As God's people, we have to hold on to our testimony. We have to, we have to be people of truth and people who contend for the truth, even if it means our lives. I mean it. I mean, yeah. that time will come, yeah. and I believe sooner than we realize. Yeah. yeah. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to pray, Lord. The challenge is out there, Lord. Not just for the first century, but that that demon, that dragon is still here. Not because he's so powerful, but because he's different. With what little time he has, 
He's doing everything. He's throwing everything. He's God. To weaken us, all we need to do is to live a surrendered life, surrender to the truth. It's all about the truth. I pray that this truth will strengthen your people and will cause them to stand up. Not only have the appearance like the lamb, but speak like the lamb. Because they are equipped with the truth. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.